Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus even more, more than I love dressing up in costume and giving out candies to kids, which thank all of you who uh, showed up yesterday. Also, uh, coming up next week is the prayer night at Elizabeth Baptist. And I say night, but it's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, next Sunday, November 2nd, 4 o'clock. Those of you um, who are wanting to and willing to and recognize that we as the people of God need to be in prayer for our nation. We're not praying for candidates. We're not praying for political parties. We're just praying on behalf of our nation because a lot of people are going to go to the polls and they're going to vote. And we just need to, as Christ followers, be voting not what the TV tells us, the media tells us, but what God fills our heart with because we want his will to be done. So anyone that is available, you're welcome to come to that. There's a couple of congregations that are going to be a part of making that happen. We actually have a tradition to the tradition. We have a tradition when it's somebody's birthday that we ask everyone to stand and we ask them to stand on a chair and we sing happy birthday to them. We have a tradition to that tradition that when they skate out on us, Karen, we catch them the following week after their birthday and ask them to stand on a chair so that we can sing happy birthday to them. So I'm going to ask all of you guys to stand and ask Gary to help Karen up on the chair and join us in singing a belated happy birthday. Ready? One more quick thing uh, I want to bring up before we move on, and that is that um, someone brought up that we haven't had a, like, potluck-type dinner thing in a long time where we just get together as family. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have uh, another international prayer feast on November 9th. How many were here for the last one we did last year? Yeah, it was a while ago. I think it was in August of 2013, the last one we did. Now, here's the thing. I realize many people can't stay afterwards uh, because they have other things going on. So we're going to make this a part of the Sunday celebration because we're actually kicking off a new series on that Sunday called The Hunger Games. Um, yeah, movie's coming out. But uh, we're going, so we're going to incorporate this feast as we eat together and pray together as a part of the Sunday celebration. And the goal is not just because Floyd wants more food, although it's true. The goal is that we want to spend time praying, not just for the last time we did international prayer feast. We prayed for the countries and the nations from which, you know, everyone came from. Uh, here's what we want to do this time. We want to spend time and pray for every single family that's here. And even those that, that don't show up because they can't make it next week or on November 9th. So we want to, as we are sharing a meal together, uh, pray for every single family within our congregation. And we're going to do it as a part of the Sunday celebration. And we're going to do it as a part of eating. And I know that sounds weird to you, but if you look through the book of Acts, that is exactly what the church did on a regular basis. They got together. They ate meals. They looked through the scriptures. They sang songs or hymns of praise. And they prayed together and prayed for one another. So that's what we're going to do. God, we lift our voices this morning to just give you praise and honor that you would lay down your life for us. That you would become the Lamb of God, that you would give your life for us. That you conquered the grave for us. And that you poured out your amazing grace on us, Lord. Even when we don't deserve it, 
say and do things that are just wrong and even when we speak out against one another, God, your grace is just amazing. God, we pray that this morning that we would be a blessing to you in the same manner that you continue to bless all of our lives as we lift our voices, as we greet one another, as we share your word. We pray that we would be a blessing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, this morning, we're, we're taking a break from the series that we've been doing, but we're still continuing it in a way. Uh, we were looking at a survey that you guys filled out summer that asked you um, what things do you worry about, things that get your blood pressure up uh, and going, what things do you wonder about, what things do you wish you had a better understanding of how they worked or wonder why certain things happened, and um, what things do you wish for if money or time were not an obstacle, uh, what things would you yourself like to accomplish. But instead of looking at more your responses, which we'll finish up next week, um, this week, I wanted to share my top things. The uh, number one is thing I worry about, uh, which I guarantee you all of these are not food related, but the thing I worry about and the, the things that I wonder about and, of course, the things that I wish for. And there's a lot of uh, things that I worry about. I mean, so many things. But um, one of the top things and is that I really do worry about is, uh, have you guys seen all the slew of comic book movies that are coming out? Yeah, I, want, I, I really, now this is a worry of mine, please don't laugh, but it's serious. I wonder if I'm gonna live until they all come out because they have them, look, I wanna show you this. This is, this is, they have like some awesome, they've got Avengers, they've got Ant-Man, they've got another Thor, another Avengers, Hulk movie, all these, and this is just Marvel. They've got like another Superman, a Justice League, Shazam. How many guys remember Shazam? Like you watched Shazam growing up, like, and do you guys remember, what was the other show? That was, ISIS, did anyone watch that show? Now, if you go back and watch those now, you'd be like, what was I thinking? These are cheesy. I went back, I found ISIS on, I think it was either Hulu or Netflix. Maybe it was Amazon Prime, I forget which. And I started watching it and I'm like, why did we even think these were superheroes? They did nothing. She did nothing but rise up and rise down, and that's it. Nothing. But now, like when they reduce Shazam, uh, you know, it's, they've got all these graphics, and it's going to be cool, but it's not coming out until like 2020, and tomorrow isn't promised to us, and I have no idea what's going to be going on then, if I'll even be alive then, and they've pushed all these movies out into like 2019 and 2020, so I... That, that is one of the things uh, that I worry about. It's not the top thing, all right? The top thing, <laughs> the top thing, um, well, there's another thing, but that's food-related. But the top thing that I really do worry about is this, and this is, this is pretty serious. I worry that within the church, not just this church, the body of Christ as a whole, that reading isn't fundamental. You guys remember that, that reading is fundamental, that TV commercial they used to, encouraging everyone to read. Um, it used to be true within the church 
that reading the Bible was fundamental. It was one of the basic things that people did. And today, within the body of Christ, people aren't reading the Bible anymore. And, and for me personally, I worry because a lot of things that are happening around the world to the church, and even some of the things happening in the church, are because people aren't reading the Bible. They're not, they're not taking this as the word of God, even though it is the foundation upon which our, our entire belief is built on this. And people aren't reading it. They don't understand it. It's like trying to become an architect, scientist, rocket scientist, or, or whatever, uh, without first understanding and knowing math, addition, multiplication, and division. Without trying to know the foundations. And, and that's what people are doing today. And here's every word of this is authentic and it's real. And they're, we, the church, are trying to be the church without the foundation upon which the church is built. And you can see the results today. Now, uh, I want to share, share with you just a couple of passages of scripture because it is important that we understand the word of God. So if you have a Bible, uh, pull it out, turn to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in chapter 1. And this is just what God says to the leaders. And it's just what he says to one particular leader, uh, but it can be applied across the board uh, to all of the leaders or any God-honoring, Christ-following leader. And in Joshua, um, again, if you have a Bible, pull it out under your seat, left or right of you. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, so after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then you'll hit Joshua. And in chapter 1, this is what it says. After Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you, singular, he's talking to Joshua, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, this is God saying to Joshua, who was not a leader before, he's now stepped into a leadership position, leading the nation. He is not just like leading a group of people. He is leading the entire nation on the mission that God has called them to. Drop down to verse 6, and this is what it says. It says, verse 6, be strong and courageous. Underline that because he says it to him several times. Be strong and courageous because you, singular, talking to Joshua, will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now that's important because he tells him, hey, you are to know this book. You are to meditate on this book. And you are to, when you tell the people, here are some rules, guidelines, and regulations, they are to be based on this book. Now, for those who say, well, you know, we, you know, we're in the New Testament. We're not going by the Old Testament laws. But all of that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So for me personally, if there's a politician, because we're coming up on elections, that says, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, then everything that he does 
every law he pushes forward, every law he supports, should be based on the morality and justice that comes from God. Not from his party, not from, you know, trying to fight the other party, but if they say they're a Christ follower, then they should be following this. And this is what, this is what God tells Joshua will happen. If you do that, if you don't let this law depart from your mouth, if you meditate on it day and night and you do everything in it, then, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, prosperous doesn't mean like we tend to think of the word, the Americanized version means I'm going to get rich quick. I'm going to have you know, a car with rims and a uh, you know, home with 27 bedrooms and 12 bathrooms. That's not what it means. Prosperous means that you will have more than what you started with. That is the definition of prosperous. So he's, if, if, if our political leaders who say that they are Christians, I don't, I'm not worried about the ones who don't, but the ones who say, hey, I'm a Christ follower, uh, then they should be basing the laws and things that they do on the word of God. The pastors, those of us that preach and teach the word of God, we should be living our lives in accordance with the word of God. And when we do, then God says you will have prosperity and you'll be successful so this, for me, I mean, I, I know this doesn't make sense, but for me, um, this is a huge concern because I don't see that, that, that adhering to the word of God in the church. It's one thing to say I don't see it in a culture. I'm not supposed to see it in a culture because they're not out there. Not everyone claims to be a Christian. But in the churches that claim to follow God, we should be seeing them adhere to this. Now, this is what Paul says about it. So look up here. Put this verse on the screen. Romans chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. He says, we who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past, everything, now this is the New Testament, and Paul is referring to everything that was written before he wrote this. Everything that has written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Long paragraph just to say this. The scriptures are supposed to encourage us. They're supposed to be a source of hope. And because we have that encouragement and that hope, then we can bear, as he says, with the failings of the weak. It's a lot easier for me to come alongside someone who's hurting and dealing with stuff if I have the source and strength that comes from knowing God's word. Because if I don't, and we see this today, I'm not going to have a lot of hope. And we don't live in a nation, although it claims to be a Christian nation, we don't live in a nation that seems to have a lot of hope. Our churches don't seem to have a lot of hope because we're not reading God's word. And for me, again, just for me, I really worry about that. Now, here's this, here's this. There's a simple fix to this, and that, and that really is simple, is we need to read the Bible more. I mean, that's, that's, that's basically the answer. Uh, in our churches, in our homes, if Sunday is the only time that we're opening God's word, then we're not really following what God said. Now, here's the reality. Some of us, if I had somebody ask me this, they're like, why do you always put the verses up on a screen? Don't always put them up on the screen. We just read one in the Bible and then one up on the screen. And the reason why I put them up on the screen is because sometimes I use different translations, and all of them can be 
useful if you understand where they're coming from. King James Version is more of a word-for-word translation from the original Hebrew. NIV, more of a phrase-for-phrase sentence translation. Uh, The complete Jewish Bible has more of a Jewish outlook to it. And then the Amplified Bible, which just kind of amplifies it all. The message is a, not a translation. They didn't look at the Hebrew and translate it. They just paraphrased it, kind of like what I do up here. But you can still get good information from all of those if you understand what they're for. And maybe we just need to read the Bible more. Uh, read, uh, what is it called? Not the Daily News. The Daily Bread. Daily News. Okay, read the, the Daily Bread, you know, once a day. Uh, read one chapter a day for a few minutes each morning. Get a Bible app that'll tweet and email you verses, and you just read that verse. Uh, join a Bible study uh, Tuesday nights, or I know some of you go to other Bible studies where you're digging into God's words and ask. you're able to ask questions and say, how does this apply to my life? I want to understand what God's telling me to do, but we can't say that we're a Christian nation, or we can't even say we're the church if we're not reading the word of God. Okay, so that's, that's, that's my worry, but let me tell you what I wonder about. And I wonder about a lot of things. I wonder, number one, well, I do wonder, and just because I keep seeing it over and over, I've been seeing it for the last few years, why we have none of the technology from the Back to the Future movies? I mean, is it, how many people saw the movies? Yeah, and isn't, aren't we like past the date or coming up? Yeah, and I'm like, uh, you know what? I would trade in all of my tablets and smartphones for a hoverboard in a heartbeat. I'd give them all up. If I get a hoverboard, done, easy deal. But I'm like, what's what's the holdup about that? But that's that's not the only thing I wonder about. Okay, here's another thing that I do wonder about, and it's a little bit more serious, but I wonder um, why the church doesn't talk about sex more often. Now, let me tell you why. not only because most of you will make that sound you all just made if we do talk about it, but sexuality has permeated every aspect of our culture. And outside of the church, the culture is defining sexuality. And they're doing it not just in where they want to do it, they're doing it, they're pushing it into the schools, they're pushing it into the homes, they're pushing it everywhere. And we as the church aren't saying, okay, but here's what God's word says about sex. Now, here's, here's, here's the problem with it, and it's not just a homosexual thing. It's a sexuality thing because the homosexual movement is basically telling your children and their children, if you have grandchildren, at an even younger age, hey, you need to identify yourself by who you want to sleep with. That's what homosexuality is. I want to sleep with someone of the same sex. Or I want to sleep with someone of a different sex. And they are telling our children at younger ages, they're not telling this just to the young adults, not telling it just to the high school kids. They're telling it to the elementary and middle school age children that you need to identify yourself as if they don't have enough to already struggle with. But you need to identify yourself by who you want to have sex with. So basically, they're saying to our kids and grandkids, at ages 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, start thinking now about who you want to have sex with. That's not something I want my 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old thinking about. I want them thinking about school. I want them thinking about family. 
I want them thinking about their relationship with God. I mean, I have a daughter in her 20s, and I don't want her thinking about who she wants to have sex with. I got to get that out of my head. All right. But this is what the culture is, is, is telling our children, and the church is not responding. So within the church, children of multiple generations from within the church are going out and saying, okay, this is what it must mean to talk about sexuality. Because since we're not telling them, they're accepting what the people who are talking to them about it say. And the church as a whole, and a lot of it, now I'm not trying to make fun, but a lot of it is because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about sex in this open environment, you know, with everyone. But the answer to that is also to talk about sex. Not now, because you guys have made it clear you're already uncomfortable, but I just mean going on in general in a God-honoring way, uh, not to bash anyone because of, you know, who they want to sleep with or whatever, but to clearly communicate the truths of God's word about not just homosexuality or promiscuity or, or just in general, here is what God says about sexuality. He created it. He revealed it to us in his word, and we're supposed to pass this on to the next generation so that they have a clear understanding. And we're not. And I, I wonder, why aren't we? Because it's not like someone standing here saying, you know, all right, stop, you can't talk about that. It's in the church. We're supposed to talk about that. Now, granted, if it's uncomfortable on a, like, Sunday morning to break out, you know, charts and graphs, which we're not going to do that, but, and, and do it, but at least in some setting to educate our upcoming generations on um, sexuality and what God's word says about it. Now, here's, here's, let me share with this. Here's, here's what I wish for. This is something I wish for. And right now, I wish everyone wasn't so tense because we just talked about sex. But here's, this is one of the things I wish for. And this is not just because we have an election coming up because it pains me when I hear it. This is, I wish that we the people, that term we the people, that we actually knew how much of a part God played in founding we the people. I really wish that we knew that. I really wish that all of the Americans, even the ones that say, okay, I don't want to follow your God. Hey, that's okay. But I wish you knew how much of a part our God played in founding this nation. And, it, and I, I cringe every time I hear someone say, well, this is not a Christian nation. I can accept that to a certain degree. But it is a godly nation, and it was founded on godly principles. So let me, let me show you this. I want to I I walk you through this. And usually when you start talking about the history of our nation, people have flashbacks to class, so they either want to sneak out or pass notes or whatever. Just bear with me for a few minutes. This is from the Declaration of Independence. You can go Google it anywhere. You can go look it up in any book. Uh, and this is what it says. Declaration of Independence in Congress. July 4th, 1776, okay? So bear with me for just a few minutes, all right? The very next line, this is what the very next line of the Declaration of Independence says. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, okay? If I am reading this, whatever is coming next, what this says to me is that all of these, whoever these people are, they all agree to this. Does that make sense? 
I mean, it says the unanimous declaration. So whoever signed this, all these people that signed it, whoever agreed to it, in my head it says, well, this is what the nation, this United States of America, these people, this is what they agreed to. Now, here's what it says next, all right? And this, this won't be long. And again, don't, 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 just stay tuned in, okay? Uh, I hope you can read all this. I was trying to fit it all on the screen. It says, when in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now, I know this makes, it doesn't make it less, but here's, let me summarize this in a nutshell. The, the unanimous declaration of, of all the people that came together is that, summarizing this, that in the course of human events, there comes a time when the people have to stand up for the rights that God has given them against anyone who is trying to infringe on those rights. So the unanimous, these 13 states, these United States of America, they acknowledge that God entitled them to certain rights. Now, here's the very next thing that it says, okay? It says this. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Now, if you missed all the other stuff where they said, hey, God gives us certain rights, right here they make it clear that these unanimous declaration of all of the United States of America is that we hold these truths. These are not things we wish for. These are truths, and they say they're evident to everyone. Everyone on the planet can see that we are endowed with certain rights by our creator. We didn't evolve into these rights. There is a creator who gave us these rights. And they say, the United States, when we were formed, when we were declaring our independence, we said that those rights, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What Jesus said, I, I, I come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And liberty, true freedom, comes from knowing God. Now, now hold on. Let me just, let me just finish. They, this is, that's what they said at the beginning. Then they listed a bunch of grievances that they had and ways that they had tried to reconcile them and ways that they were shot down. Okay? So I'm skipping the whole middle. That's how they began, declaring, hey, God gives us these rights. It's evident to everyone these are truths, these are facts. God gives us these rights. Then they say that we have a creator, and now they're finishing this way. This is the way they finish. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, some solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. Long story short, they're saying, hey, we deserve to be free 
and we're appealing to the supreme judge of the world. We are coming together as a nation, acknowledging that the rights that we have are given to us by God, our creator, and we are appealing to him, and this is the very last thing before they all sign it. This is what they say. And I hope you can read this. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, except for James Bond movies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, and this is so cool, the support, the whole reason we're able to make this declaration, uh, we're doing it for support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So when I read this, this tells me that the nation these United States of America unanimously came together and declared that there is a God, there is a creator, he gives us our rights, and we're depending upon this now divine providence, divine divinity, literally God's providential hand in our affairs. They were depending upon God. So here's, let me sum it up this way. So America was formed based on knowing God as creator. And there are people who say, well, they weren't a Christian nation in the same way that Israel didn't know Jesus Christ as their God, there are some within America who did know Jesus Christ as their God. There were others who were at that state like Israel where we only know that there's a God, that he's a creator, that he's sovereign, and that he's going to protect us. But it's clearly, some will say, well, they were theists, meaning they believed in different gods. But when they started and they wanted to educate their people, their school system was based on teaching the Bible. That's how they learned to read. They learned the principles of the Bible. They learned the Ten Commandments. So it wasn't like they had Muhammad as their God or some other God. They had the God of the Bible as their God. Now, so it was started with knowing God as creator, God as supreme judge. They said, he is our supreme judge. We're not accountable to anyone else, any other nation, but we are accountable to God. And it was started with knowing God is their protector. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And this is what I want us to do uh, before we close. It's because the very next thing that they did, once after, I should say, not the next thing, because the next thing they did was went to war, but after the war, and when they established the government, and when they established the office of the president, and they established the Supreme Court and the Senate, and everyone was in place, the first official act that our nation did, and that our national leaders did, was they got together and they prayed. Not as individuals, but as the official president, the official senate, the official congress, the official supreme court, they got together as the parts of that lead our government and their first official act together was to pray. Because they had a vision that said that, hey, we as a nation need God. 
So here's what I'm going to ask us to do before we sing. I'm going to ask um, you guys to stand for a moment. And I want us to spend some time in prayer. And I know that um, there are a couple of people that said, hey, would you pray for different things? So as you guys just start playing for a minute, and if you're here and you say, hey, I, I, there's something that I want us to pray for, then we, I want us to do what our nation did, used to do, get together as a unanimous body and lift one another up in prayer. So I know, Helen, go ahead, what would you? Okay. So just, uh, can we get a couple of guys to go and, and stand and lay hands on Eddie? All right, just bow your heads with me, God. We pray we're coming before you just an acknowledgement that we as a nation seem to have lost our way. That we're not in that place of seeing you as our Lord, our protector, and as our supreme judge. But we today are coming before you as just that, knowing that you are our provider. And as people who want to do your will, we ask that your will would be for whatever is going on with Eddie physically, we would ask for healing. We would ask that you would give peace and wisdom to Helen so that she may be able to help and to ascertain. We, happen, we ask that whatever doctors may be involved, that you would open their eyes and ears so that uh, they can finally see whatever's causing this and be able to stop it. And Lord, if they can't, we know that we serve a God who can. So God, we put our trust and our faith in you. And we come around as Eddie's family to lovingly and pleadingly pray for your healing hand upon him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Did you? Yeah. Okay, Frank. God, we also pray for not just Frank, but all, all those that we know and love who are dealing with cancer. We give you praise for those who, who are showing signs of regression and we've been able to celebrate and rejoice with them that, that because we know of your healing power that it's been halted or been in remission. But we pray for those who, where it hasn't been in remission. We pray for their families that uh, you would ease the fear and the anxiety that's raging in their heart right now. But God, we pray for all of them that they may come to put their faith and their trust in you as Lord, as Savior, and as their God. And God, we pray that you're with Frank's family. And we don't know where they sit with you, but we pray that you would either through Sharon and Larry or someone else use this as an opportunity to speak to their hearts and let them know that there is a God who loves them more than they can ever imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone else before we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, God, again, we give you praise for the reduction in the lump and in, in Judy's cancer. And um, we know that there are doctors involved and medicines involved, but we also know that there is an all-powerful, almighty God involved. We just give you praise for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Anyone else? Yeah. Who? Darla Samara. Okay. Lord, we lift up Darla Samara to you. We lift up the aneurysm. We lift up her family. And when it comes to these things, the aneurysms and cancers and, and, and biological uh, things that make us realize how truly frail we are, sometimes we get really scared. Sometimes we get really angry. Sometimes we get really defensive. But we also pray it's an opportunity where we and they will draw really close to you. But this will be an opportunity where people will seek your face and be able to see your divine healing. We'll be able to see your amazing love and be able to realize your amazing grace. But God, we also pray for their families, that your hand would be upon them, that you would remove the stress and the anxiety and fear. We pray that in all of these situations where uh, medical needs are required, whether it be Ebola or the other coughing virus or all of these things, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? All right, here's what I want to do. Before we sing, I just want to pray for us as a congregation. So just bow your heads one more time. God, we lift up Crossroads to you. We lift up our church family. We pray that we would consistently and continually acknowledge that you are our creator, that you are our judge, and that you are our protector. We pray that in everything that we do, we would uh, remain true to what your word says, that we would trust, believe, and read, spend time in your word, soaking up your revelation to us that you give to us throughout the ages. We pray that we would be a people who seek your face regularly, open to praying to you, to exalting your name, to seeking your face, to acknowledging God, sometimes we're angry, we're, we're lost, and we just don't know what to do, but that's why we have you. And God, I pray that we would continue to be a place where we can celebrate you. We can rejoice in the fact that we have a God who loved us enough to pour out his blood for us. And as we sing this last song, God, I pray that you would just allow us to leave knowing that the vision that you give us as Crossroads, the mission that we have to be the church, to share and show the love of Christ, and to invite others into that love, knowing that that's something that we're committed to doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.